Let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to James. I'm going to look at the last uh, six verses in chapter 3 together today, starting in verse 13. Let me just uh, let you know, uh, today we're, we're going to reach the end of James 3, and we're actually going to sort of park the book of James for a couple months and come back to it. I know many of you have commented how much you've enjoyed and been challenged by um, this book. And I've ended up taking more time in it or moving more slowly. Um, but I, I want to, in the next couple months, let you know we're going to, to take the month of, I'm sorry, we're in September, the month of October and November. Um, we've been doing a lot of work as a church on our core values and thinking about our mission as a church. And we really want to, to bring that to you as a body, um, to teach into it, to pray into it, to receive your, um, your input and feedback on it. So we're going to do that um, through the, the remainder of the fall. We'll enter into the Advent season together, and then we're going to pick up uh, the last two full chapters of James starting in January, this coming 2022. Um, that's the year we're in. So uh, let me just give you a heads up. And I, I think there's a lot to look forward to in, in these next couple months. There have been quite a few of us thinking together and planning toward that end. Also, just want to put a word out in conjunction with um, where we're headed in October and November. Uh, if you are part of a small group, we're preparing some materials and, and questions and activities that you can do in that small group setting uh, with, with this, the series we're preaching through uh, over the next couple months. So if you'd like uh, to receive those materials, let me know. If you're a small group leader or facilitator, um, I've invited several of you by email if I've missed you. Um, let me just extend the invitation now. We're going to meet after service next Sunday for a brief luncheon, about an hour, to talk about that series, to talk about these, these core values that we're going to be pressing into um, so that you know what's coming, but also so that you could think about how your small group setting could, could sort of reflect those values as well. If you uh, are thinking, maybe you've been thinking about forming a small group on this side of, of COVID and after all the the sort of disruption of the past uh, year and a half. If you're thinking of, of pulling a new group together, let me know too. I'd love um, to include you in, in the planning and the front end of that. So today, though, we're, we're still in James. We're still uh, in this, uh, this passage, this, this series of, of godly wisdom. And today I want us to think together about our, our appetites. What lies underneath our desires to be wise? If you're the, the person in your family who does the grocery shopping, you might know that moment in your week when you, you make your trip to the grocery store, you get all the stuff in your cart, and you come up to the cashier, and you, you put everything in that cart on this conveyor belt, right? And as you empty it out, whether there's a line behind you, there's, there's someone scanning the goods across the register for you, it's like... Everything you are eating is fair game. It's, it's on view for everyone else to see. Right? What do you actually eat? What goes into your body? Maybe you pull out the fresh veggies and the bags of, of fruit, you know, the produce first, and, and you feel kind of good about yourself as they, they weigh those things, and you're like, yeah, I, I eat a lot of that stuff, you know, the broccoli and the carrots. And, and then the frozen food comes next, and you're like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty, pretty healthy. I feel good about that. And then the ice cream. 
and then the soda, and then the third or the fourth or the fifth half gallon of ice cream rings up. And maybe we feel a little uncomfortable. Like, can you, can you get that in the bag? Uh, just, you know, move that on so we don't all have to look at it together. It's like your own personal food pyramid is, is out there for everybody to see. What if, what if, in the same way that we might sort of take an inventory on a weekly basis by watching all of that food go past us on the conveyor belt, what if you were to take a similar inventory of the information, of the knowledge you are consuming on a daily or a weekly basis? What's on the conveyor belt? What's ringing up? What's going into your body or your mind or your psyche? What are you meditating upon? Where are you going to feed your appetite for wisdom? In a, a book that came out at the start of this year, author Brett McCracken describes something he calls a wisdom pyramid. And in many ways, the, the wisdom pyramid resembles what many of us saw on the walls of our school cafeterias growing up. You remember the, the food pyramid, the USDA food pyramid, right? And had sort of these, these bands of things you should consume a lot of and things you should only eat a little bit of. Well, McCracken notes that, that often this is a, a recommended food pyramid. Often our food pyramids, or, or sorry, our wisdom pyramids, are, are upside down. If we think about the things we consume in terms of wisdom or knowledge most frequently, it's stuff like you know, the internet, social media, and cable news sources. Right? We're swiping and we're, we're scrolling through these things constantly. On the other hand, the things that you know, come the base of this pyramid, this recommended pyramid, are often the things we're consuming least. Things like deep interactions with other human beings. Things like interactions with, with creation and God's world and, and the beauty that God has created. And things like the, the living word of God, scriptures. And so the, the book is about how do we sort of flip our, our wisdom diet? How do we rethink where we're looking and, and particularly what we're in the habit of consuming when it comes to wisdom? How do we up our intake in life-on-life -life relationships? How do we up our, our connection in local church fellowship? How do we expose ourselves to the, the beautiful things God has created? And how do we give ample space to feast regularly on the scriptures? I think to the point, not all sources of wisdom are equally helpful. Or, you know, we need to, to discern what wisdom, quote unquote, truly is. Right? To be wise, we have to practice the art of discernment. Does everything that comes in a shiny wrapper or an impressive package or, or a prominent speaker, does all of that actually deliver wisdom, truth, and goodness? Does it, does it cultivate us? Does it make us stronger in, in the inside places? How do we weigh out what's wise? Well, this morning, as we look at James again, 
James comes to us what I would call meta-wisdom. James is going to give us wisdom about wisdom itself today and help us to consider how, how to make that call, how to evaluate sources of wisdom. So as we do that together, let me pray for us as we, as we look at what James has written and what we receive in the scriptures from him. Lord Jesus, you are the wisdom from heaven. You are wise not just in speech, but in action, in relationship. Lord, you have the power to guide us and lead us into all truth. So Lord, as we come together this morning, may we come to your word May we come to you, the living word. Would you make us wise? Lord, I, I entreat you to make the words of my mouth as I endeavor to teach, to make the meditations and the applications of our hearts pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So we're thinking about how do we weigh out these sources of wisdom over and against one another. And again, let me invite you, if you've got your scripture journals with you, uh, to copy these things out. If you were struggling to keep up last week, I know it was a longer passage. We only have six verses today, so I think, I think it'll be more manageable. But let's jump in with chapter 3, verse 13. This is, I think, where James issues us this challenge to weigh things out. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I'll read that a second time. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Once again, the sort of, you know, James is full of these recurring themes, these recurring words and ideas. And yet again, James is pushing us to measure our claims of knowledge, our claims of faith, our claims to wisdom against a standard. And it's the standard of action. James tells us real knowledge, real wisdom equates to action. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. James had a big brother, a guy named Jesus. Maybe we've heard of him. And he says nearly the same thing in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, wisdom is proved true by her deeds. Wisdom is proved true by her deeds. If we want to weigh or evaluate wisdom, we should look at the actions, the deeds that come from that claim. And James goes on to say that if you're looking for wisdom, there, there are two things in particular that, that tend to mark that out, right? Good deeds or, or a good life coupled with humility. 
good deeds plus humility tend to, to keep company with true wisdom. Last week, Jody uh, brought us a similar challenge to, to regard our tongues, to, to evaluate what our tongues are doing day to day. And that passage at the beginning of chapter 3 challenged us to say, the, the one who has genuine faith, the one in whom the Spirit of God resides and convicts and leads, they should see their words and their heart working together pulling together in the same direction. And on the other hand, James says it's problematic when we see those things working against each other. Right? Too often we find things mixed up in our mouths that don't belong together. And words of praise one minute, maybe while we're here in the sanctuary this morning, flowery words, words of gratitude and thanksgiving, and then ten minutes later on the drive home, Words of cursing or criticism. As James said last week in verse 10, this should not be. Right, when we claim one thing but then do something else, we have a problem. In the same way, back in chapter 2, James said, neither should we find someone boasting about the faith that they have if we never see deeds of love, deeds of mercy, and neighbor love and kindness growing alongside those claims to faith. Right? These things belong together. And so J Jody last week considered us to, to think about how do we keep all of these things together that are part of the Christian life. Things like repentance and good works and perseverance. How do they follow trusting faith? And I think each of us wrestle with, well, well how do we knit all of that together theologically? How do, we, how do we fit those pieces together? And as we wrestle with that fitting together, as we, as we wrestle with those questions, and I know we, we wrestle with them, here's what I think is at the crux of James's concern, not just here in chapter 3, but throughout this letter. James wants to keep us, he wants to guard us from deception. James says, don't get duped. Don't get duped specifically or, or, or most, uh, he, he's most concerned that we don't get duped when it comes to God's best things, God's most precious gifts that James talks about. When it comes to the gift of faith that God gives, when it comes to the gift of salvation that God gives, when it comes to the gift of heavenly wisdom that God gives, James says, don't confuse counterfeit stuff for the genuine article. We have to be discerning. Many years ago when I, I lived overseas, about this time of year, often my friends and I would go to the market to buy a winter jacket, a winter coat. And where we lived in, in China, it was easy in the markets to buy a North Face jacket. And they, they looked just like the North Face jackets you'd go spend two, $300 on downtown in Burlington, maybe more. And some of them you could buy there in the market for, you know, for, for 20, 30 bucks. Some of them, if you, if you did, you know, sort of pull them open, you looked at the seams, they really were, they, the seams were sealed, they had high quality zippers, they were probably like, you know, factory seconds that had gone out the back door. 
And then there were other North Face jackets that we called the North Fake. And those, you know, it would take about two minutes of investigation and you'd be like, all right, this is just garbage. You know, it's, it's a jacket that by the end of the winter, you'll be putting in a garbage can. The, the, the zippers were no good. You know, the seams were already coming apart. They were cheap materials. But you had to, to take a minute or two to look at what you were buying. James says here, if, if someone claims to be wise, to be the, the possessor of knowledge and wisdom, weigh the evidence. Look carefully. Sometimes it checks out. Sometimes, though, as verses 14 through 16 illustrate, we should see the wisdom that's on offer and we should run in the opposite direction. Look at verses 14 through 16. Write these out with me. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I've subtitled these three verses, Wisdom, quote-unquote, from hell. And in these, these three verses, James says, if we see envy, if we notice selfish ambition growing up alongside the, the proclamation of wisdom, the offer of wisdom, it should make us suspicious. James warns us that, that when we see those kinds of behaviors, those kinds of attitudes attached to the offer of wisdom, the wisdom you end up getting is usually pretty nasty stuff. Verse 15, James says, don't be fooled. This is not the wisdom that comes from heaven. In fact, it's the wisdom that comes from the pit of hell. And he says we can see the, the hellish qualities of this kind of wisdom by the fruit that it bears. By the kind of things that result from, quote unquote, wisdom. And James's world, the ancient world, was full of claimants to wisdom, right? This was a, there was a wisdom business. There were sophists, there were philosophers, there were uh, rhetors, people who were skilled in the art of speaking and making arguments, right? And, and James says, be careful, what's underneath this stuff? He says, because demonic wisdom once it, it has time to operate, once it has time to, to come up and bear fruit, leaves behind turbulence, leaves behind instability. It leaves behind a kind of anarchy in our, in our life, in our relationships, in our communities. False wisdom may look good initially, but it leaves destruction in its wake. James warns us against this kind of wisdom. One of the, the most successful podcasts in the past year uh, was, was produced by Christianity Today, and it's, it's an investigative report uh, called The Rise and the Fall of Mars Hill. 
I've listened to bits and pieces of it. Honestly, it's uh, in some ways so discouraging to, to hear kind of how toxic uh, this particular setting had become, that, it, that it's hard, it's, it's difficult to listen to as a Christian. But it's offered to, to help us think through these questions about wisdom and authority and truth. It examines, in particular, the, the rapid growth and success of a church in the Seattle area called Mars Hill. It was led by a, a pastor of some notoriety named Mark Driscoll, a guy that used to be known as the swearing pastor. So if you think about James 3 last week, the, the church there in Seattle had this incredible rise to, to prominence. It planted itself over and over again in the Northwest to the point of, I think they had 20 or 30,000 people in these different church plants at one point. And I, I happened to actually work as a youth intern in Seattle back in 2001 uh, at a church just up the street from one of Mars Hill's campuses. And it was still pretty early in its, its rise to prominence. But already there was kind of a mystique about this place and, and the wisdom of Mars Hill, right? They were attracting hundreds, sometimes thousands of people to come to church in a place like Seattle where people didn't come to church very often. There was a, a confidence about the place. There was a kind of swagger to their leadership. They were, they were powerful. They were influential. They seemed strong. But it, it turns out that in many cases, it was also a movement plagued by ambition, plagued by the, the abuse of spiritual leadership and authority. And it, you know, the, looking back in the rear view, the, the larger the profile of Mars Hill became, the more its, its wisdom tended toward disorder and upheaval. The fruit of it was not life-giving, right? The fruit of this wisdom left thousands and thousands of people without a true spiritual community when, when things finally imploded about 15 years into the life of that church. I think James is, is asking us here to help us see true wisdom, to evaluate wisdom when it's before us or a claim to wisdom. James is drilling down to a more basic question. I think James is asking us, why do you want to be wise? What is your appetite for wisdom? Why do you desire to possess wisdom? Do we want to be wise because it gives us some kind of competitive edge over somebody else? Is that what wisdom is about? Do we want wisdom because it gives us a, a sense of moral superiority? We're, we're wise in the eyes of others. Are we tempted to use wisdom to paper over our insecurities in other areas, so that we look and appear confident. You might, time, you might take time this week to ask yourself that question. When it comes to knowledge, when it comes to, to truth and information and wisdom, why do you desire it? Why do you desire to be wise? What's happening at the heart level? Because I think James says... If, if at the heart level, if our desire for wisdom is misplaced, then all kinds of toxic things grow up as a result. We get the garbage that he just described in verse 16. But when our appetite, when our desire, when our intention 
for, for wisdom is, is rightly aimed. In verse 17, we start to see that all these beautiful and life-giving things come forth as a result. Copy these out with me, verses 17 and 18. James says, in contrast, but, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, not the wisdom that comes from hell, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. When it comes to wisdom, I think James is saying provenance matters. Wisdom is kind of like a bottle of fine wine, right? Read the label. Know where it comes from. Because where it comes from matters. Verse 17 says that the wisdom that can nourish us, the wisdom that can cause relational and spiritual flourishing and life, it has a single source. James says it only and always comes from heaven. James is telling us the fountainhead, the giver of all true wisdom is God himself. And so that means that wisdom can never be manufactured. Wisdom is always a heavenly gift, right? And, and James uses that language earlier in his, his letter. And if wisdom is always a gift that comes from God, then it follows that wisdom must also be pure, untainted, unstained, right? That, that concern for purity is one that James revisits again and again in this letter. James, in chapter 1, challenges us to, to have pure desires in our hearts. He challenges us to have pure religion in our practice and worship of God. In chapter 3, he challenges us to have pure speech coming out of our mouths. And now, he says, when you seek wisdom, make sure it's pure. Crave the purity of wisdom. Make sure that it's true at its source. That's your first consideration. What's at its source? And then he goes on to say, you'll, you'll know that wisdom is pure. You'll know it's what you're looking for when, when you see these other attributes blossoming in the character of those who love it. The wisest people among you, James says, they're the ones who are considerate. The wise are submissive to others. The wise are full of mercy toward others. The wise are full of good fruit and good deeds. The wise are impartial and sincere. This is where you'll find wisdom. And so I think what, what James wants us to know that wisdom is in part about what we believe. But wisdom is not limited to what we believe. He, sort of like he said way back in, in the, the chapter on, 
on faith. The demons believe things that are true. They don't actually have fruit to show from it. So wisdom is not limited only to what we believe. It's also connected to how we believe it, what we do with it. And all of these adjectives, all of these qualities describe the, the how of what we believe, the what we do with what we believe. Too often we're familiar with wisdom that goes on the attack, right? We're, we're often trained to think about wisdom as a tool to defend ourselves and our positions and what we believe and, and then to, to sort of sharpen our rhetoric and make an attack against our opponents. This is what we employ wisdom for. But James says here, the wisdom from heaven is not an arsenal of ideas. Look at verse 18. James says, heavenly wisdom is for the making of peace. Heavenly wisdom is, is for us to enjoin others to reap with us the harvest of righteousness and, and godly flourishing. What, what the Hebrew tradition calls shalom, right? That's not just the absence of conflict. It's, it's the fullness of life, what God intended in, in the Garden of Eden to, to grow forth. Right? Peace between God and man, peace between one another. Wisdom is meant to lead to flourishing. So I think James is asking us to check our desires here against this list in 17 and 18. Do you desire to be wise so that you can love peace? Do you desire to be wise so that you can be more considerate to your neighbor? Is your desire for wisdom so that you might even be submissive in the way that the Lord would direct you? Is your desire for wisdom so that you might be a shower of mercy and good deeds? Is your desire for wisdom to be impartial and sincere? We have to ask ourselves, what is in our hearts? What's underneath our desire for wisdom? And then finally, let me offer you a, a question, a, a takeaway this week. If this is the definition of pure or true wisdom, then how do we obtain it? How do we go about feeding on this and, and gaining a diet of, of true wisdom in our lives? And let me draw from James, I think, three suggestions. For seeking pure wisdom or true wisdom, First, the first thing James says to do is to ask for it. Way back in chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it. If you're fed up with garbage wisdom, wisdom that's not from heaven, ask God for it. God's not territorial. God doesn't have copyrights on his wisdom. He gives this stuff away freely, generously to all who ask, James says. So are you asking for wisdom? Are you going to the source wisdom. Something I'd encourage you to think about this week. Secondly, take that list of verses 17 and 18, those qualities, and ask yourself, who are the people positioned around me? Who are the wise ones? Who are the sages God has given me to learn from? Now, of course, none of us are, are perfect in, in, in the fruit we bear, but who do you notice real fruitfulness? Who do you notice mercy in? Who do you notice humility in? Who do you notice a desire and a spirit of peacemaking in? 
how could you make space in your life to learn from them, to spend time with them, to imitate them? Come to understand how they've practiced godly wisdom in their lives. And if you're one of those who God has granted wisdom to, you've been on this journey for a long time, then who might God be calling you to share that wisdom with, to make space for in your life to learn from, learn from you? So are we asking God for wisdom? Are we seeking the wisdom of God in in the saints that he's placed around us? And thirdly, if we desire to have heavenly wisdom, then we have to walk with the one who is wisdom. And that is Jesus Christ. The scriptures are clear. The tradition of the church is clear. 1 Corinthians 1, Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom from God. Paul talks about there's all these other ideas about wisdom out there. But the foolishness of God is wiser than the strength of men. Jesus Christ, power and wisdom of God. All those fruits that that James describes in verses 17 and 18 are embodied in Jesus, in his life, in his ministry. To be wise is to be in the presence of Christ. And we have to do that day after day after day to come to that fount of wisdom. Think about the the words from that verse in the great hymn, Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We we usually just sing it during the Advent season, but one of those verses, one of the the prayers of the early church that that informed that hymn was about godly wisdom, the the sapientia wisdom of Christ. You remember the verse, O come, wisdom from on high, order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show teach us in her ways to go. Christ is the author of wisdom, the embodiment of wisdom. So I'm going to invite Carol to come forward now. As you reflect on, on your appetite, where are you feeding? Where could you be more, feeding more fully on wisdom today?